This podcast was produced and recorded by Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church of Ocala, Florida. This is a collection of sermons and talks by our founding pastor, Ted Strawbridge. These recordings were salvaged from cassette tapes dating back to the 90s. We hope you enjoy. created Adam and Eve, and then they had children, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Abel symbolized Israel. He was dead, killed by Cain. Cain is like the Egyptians. Moses writes the book of Genesis to tell the people, we don't want to go back to Egypt. We want to go to the promised land. Moses writes the story of Genesis and tells the story. Cain killed Abel, and Seth is born afterwards. Seth is like Israel. Cain is like Egypt. Seth has some children, Lamech. Lamech is the father of Noah. Remember Noah? Um, that God destroys the earth because man's heart was only evil all the time. And then Noah has three children, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, three sons that come out of that, that are saved with Noah. Noah's name means rest, by the way. Safety. Salvation. So anyway, um, then you got Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and God promises to bring through that line of people. God calls Abraham eventually out of her of the Chaldees. Remember, and Abraham has the sons. This is the whole story of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons. You remember them? They get launched down into Egypt because of the famine. And Joseph, you remember the brothers that sold Joseph into Egypt? And Joseph is there, and he's a ruler in Egypt. And the, the 12 sons, the 11 that are left, come down to Egypt, and Joseph takes care of them. God has established his line. Remember, the people are left in Egypt. They come down because of the famine, and they stay in Egypt for a while. And then the king in Egypt forgets about Joseph. And these Israelites, they're like rabbits, man. They're populating all over the place. And the king in Egypt forgets about Joseph and who these people are, and instead of treating them with respect, he makes them slaves. And so for 400 years, the children of Israel populate. No matter how the kings beat them and whip them and destroy them, they continue to just prosper and and spawn. It's not a good human word, but I guess that's what fish do. The Israelites spawned in Egypt, and the Egyptians didn't like them. And the the Israelites called out to God. God heard their prayer, remember? God raised up Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses brings the people to the edge of the promised land so he doesn't go in. Remember, Moses had sinned and he wasn't allowed to go in. And so Joshua brings the people in. Joshua leads the people in. They take the land. They conquer the land. But there's still a lot of land to be possessed. After Joshua, there's a period of time in the Old Testament where we have judges. Remember? You you probably don't remember, but the judges, Othniel, Ehud, Sangar, Jephthah, these these are judges that that appeared for a time and maybe 20 years they sort of ruled and and gave oracles and all that kinds of things but but they never really established leadership. Samson was one of the judges of Israel. Well, at the end of the time of the judges, God raised up Samuel who was anointed. 
Samuel was anointed to anoint the first king of Israel, Saul. Saul's son, remember? David? That's not right. That's my first bad mistake all the way along, and you guys wouldn't have even caught it. Oh, yeah, you guys did. I know you did. Okay. Sorry. Um, Saul was rejected, and David was established as king. David was, Samuel anointed Saul, and then Saul was rejected, and then Samuel went back, and God chose David, and David was anointed king. Then David had a son, Solomon. This is where I was getting David has son Solomon, who's the wisest man in all the earth. Solomon ruled. Solomon had over a thousand wives. He had so many horses and so much gold, they quit trying to keep track of it, they just stuck it in the barns. After Solomon uh, reigned as king, he had a son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam said, and this is where we're getting, this is where I want you to pay attention. Rehoboam said, My reign will not be like my father Solomon. Solomon taxed you, and his taxes were like my pinky. My taxes will be like your waist. And the people of Israel threw off Rehoboam's reign, and they said, What do we have to do with you, you Benjamite? And so Rehoboam continued to rule only part of the kings, only part of the tribes of Israel, and Jeroboam became the ruler of the other tribes. So now we've got a divided kingdom. Kingdoms in the south were two, Judah and Benjamin, that's where Jerusalem was. Kingdoms in the north were ten. There never was a good king of the north. Solomon was in the year 922, that he ended his reign in 922. In 733, um, the Assyrians attacked and took the ten northern tribes. So the northern tribes of Israel are now laid waste. That nation that was supposed to be God's people is now uh, under the domain of the kingdom of Assyria. But the southern two tribes, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is in the southern part with Judah and Benjamin, they continue to have some good kings every once in a while. So they watch the northern ten tribes fall to Assyria. And a lot of the prophets uh, speak to the nation of Judah and say, look what happened to the north. Now would you repent? Now would you turn? Now would you come back and worship like you're supposed to? And off and on, some kings did well in Judah. Josiah was a good king. There were kings that repented. But on the whole, the kingdom of Judah continued to fall apart. All that to say, I want to bring you to the last king of Judah, Jehoiakim. And this is where we begin with Daniel chapter 1. In the third reign, third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names 
to Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord and the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to this scripture, we pray that you would show us that in the world that we live in, there are things that we have to avoid. Father, in the world that we live in, we are called to engage. Father, we're called to lead. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher now. We pray these things in Christ's name. I've heard some great sermons on Daniel, and this ain't one of them. Still survive. I want to read to you something that was sent to me this week. Recently, I've begun to think about my Christian experience as it relates to the church. In years past, I would frequently leave thinking to myself, I didn't get much out of that service. I now realize that church is not primarily designed for me to experience gratification, but as a vehicle for me to worship the true and living God. And included was a part of an article says, for some years now, a false emphasis has been gaining power in churches. I hear frequently from pastors about this, with many variations in the pattern. People approach a church with a demand. Do you have a program for senior citizens? What are your youth activities? What about young couples? What do you do for them? Such people, this article say, not me, of course, thank you, time. Such people are not worshipers. In fact, they're not truly believers. They're consumers. They want the church to be a religious shopping mall, catering to them as consumers. Their demands as consumers must, they believe, govern the church. What they are less honest in stating is that they assume that God exists to meet their consumer needs. There are even books written about prayer which encourage this fantasy. God is seen as the super servant who is ready to jump as soon as he is paged. He sits waiting, idly by, for the appeals to come in so that he can fulfill your wishes. 
fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not believe for a moment, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to rescue and liberate the old. Ah, the strength. We shall fight on the sea and we shall fight on the oceans. What you have to do is break Daniel chapter 1 out of your Sunday school picture. You see what's happened is Daniel was one of the wealthy, one of the children of the elite in Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar came, 12, and he conquered Assyria. And so he took over all the places that Assyria had ruled. And he took over not only the northern tribes, but he took over the southern tribes too. And so in 597, Nebuchadnezzar did what all the kings did that wanted to rule. You see, they didn't want to allow you who are strong because of your religious convictions to remain strong. And so he came into Jerusalem and into Judah... And he took away the strong and the bold and the powerful. Listen to this introduction in one commentary. I thought this was just tremendous. Picture the scenario. First, they take away the children. The best and the brightest of the young are forced to leave their parents and their homeland for re-education. Next, the artists and the craftsmen disappear, not content to plunder the national treasure. The occupation forces herd together 10,000 skilled artisans in one massive deportation campaign and then ship them like prize cattle to the fatherland. Their art will be the product of slave labor and the possession of the captives. Deprived of its young and of its beauty, the nation falls into despair, but the worst is yet to come. A nation with its heart rent in two is vulnerable to the beauty and cons- Enemy seeks the violent shaking that the land is empty. Not only is the nation of its wealth and agriculture, but its are killed, 
or forced to flee to neighboring countries. Hundred mile death to slave camps to the enemy capital. In less takes for a child to mature, the occupying army its wealth, its people, and the heritage of 1,500 years. These, are, these were not the crimes of Hitler, Stalin, or the they brushed the of Babylon. Uh, so maybe you begin to get a taste of what's going on here. Daniel was John Brill. Daniel was Samuel. Strawberry. Daniel was Miriam Mitchell or Kyle Cunningham. And the forces came in one night and stole him out of the house and took him away and looted everything that we possessed and hauled him 700 miles away and said, now little boy, you're going to grow up and serve the king if you're good enough. The book of Daniel, uh, we'll see later on, chapter 10 and verse 3, refers to the Cyrus edict, the third year of Cyrus' reign. Rain, so that tells us that the book of Daniel, stories that Daniel tells, was written after about 535. The book of Daniel comes after 535 B.C. These stories, this beginning in Daniel chapter 1, begins in about 597 B.C. And over that whole span of time, the nation of Israel does not exist as an empire that controls its own destiny, but as a kingdom that is subject to other countries. So Richard Pratt, when he's teaching on world and life view, he's a professor at, at RTS, when he's teaching on world and life view stuff, your mental perspective of what life is all about, dealing with the culture, and he wants to help Christians understand how we are to exist in the church today, he comes to the book of Daniel because the whole book of Daniel is written to tell us how we are to survive when we are not the rulers of our culture. Do you understand? We live in an age that is post-Christian in America. I don't want to break your bubble. It isn't a moral majority. is not moral. It may at times vote conservatively for their economics, but there is not a moral majority in our country. We live in a post-Christian era. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean it's all over? We lost? No. That's why uh, Dr. Pratt would come to the book of Daniel because Daniel tells the stories for the people of Israel how they are to survive, not only survive, but be effective as witnesses in a world in which they don't rule. Let's look at the text. We'll see three quick things. Daniel chapter 1. You'll see that there are things that we have to avoid. Daniel chapter 1. The king ordered Ashkenaz, chief of his courts, to bring the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, physical defect, handsome, sorry, this is verse 4. 
showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to them the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So the king comes in, and he steals, takes these people out. He's destroying people all over the place, but he takes this one boy, and he says, Now, son, you've shown some aptitude. If you'll do as I tell you, I'll give you all the food you want. This would be like the president of the United States coming down to Ocala. And, and while everyone else is being taken away, he gives one child a chance. While everybody else is being destroyed, he gives one child a chance. He says, look, little boy, you'll come and uh, learn all the things that I have to teach you. I'm going to make you one of the leaders in our whole world. Only there's one little catch. Um, I don't want you to go to church anymore. You see, the, the king's food that the king's provided probably were sacrificed to idols and were offered to the gods of Baal in Babylon before they were come and served to these young men. But Daniel, verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for, for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. The official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you food and drink. You understand? I'm supposed to be giving you steaks and mashed potatoes here. And if you don't eat these steaks and you show up skinnier, I'm going to get in trouble. They're going to think that I was stealing some of the food. What am I going to do? Daniel, the lord had given him favor, but he said, what am I going to do? The king will have my hide. But Daniel, remember now, just a young boy, says, well, how about this? I believe God will do something. You just let me drink some water and eat vegetables. You watch what God does. We are not in a time when our country is overthrown, but we do live in a time when everything outside us calls us not to be people of character, not to be people of integrity, not to have any issue anywhere that we would raise up and say, no, I'm sorry, I just can't do that. The assumption of every entering class in universities in our day and age is given over to one absolute. There is no absolute. And everything is equally as good as anything else. Uh, this is a book called American Apostasy, the Triumph, Triumph of Other Gospels. I'm not so concerned about what's going on in, a, in America as much as I want you to hear what these guys say in this symposium about the church. This is Lutherans, Catholics, and their discussion. This is leading thinkers in the religious world. Among the questions raised by this man named Dulles, is whether Christians today have the nerve to sustain a community with a peculiar language of faith, or whether in the name of translating and applying the tradition, we're abandoning the community, the language, and the faith itself. So all these guys don't agree on everything, um, but one thing they do agree on, others thought such distinctions altogether to David Lodge, church historian at Union Theological Seminary in New York, argues that the gospel has become but one option among the many Gospels. 
We are awash in gospels, he says. There are gospels everywhere. And he adds, in centers of liberalism, such as Union, where he teaches, all kinds of new orthodoxies are right rigidly enforced. It is, as G.K. Chesterton said about believing in God, the problem with people who stop believing in God is not that they end up believing in nothing, but they end up believing in everything. In everything. The problem with the people who stop believing in God is not that they end up believing nothing, it's that they end up believing everything. Daniel is going to have visions and revelations in Daniel chapter 7 through 12. Daniel chapter 1 through 6 tells the reader of the book, this is why Daniel's stories are trustworthy. Because you see the life and the model that Daniel was. Daniel is a model for us to live in a culture that we don't rule. It's not to whine and pout and say, oh, we don't rule. It's just to be very careful to draw the lines where we feel like we have to. And Daniel says, this is where I've got to draw the line. The question is, is the church willing to make a stand and say, this is where we go. We can't go any farther. I would encourage you this morning to take a look at the life of Daniel. Um, not to apply it to culture out there, but to apply it to your own heart. Are there places in your heart where the Lord has prompted you, as he did Daniel, to say, this is as far as I go. I can't go any farther. I can't be any more tolerable. I've got to stop here. Look at what Daniel gave up. He gave up the meat and the wine and the merriment, and he said, I'd rather be with God and have vegetables and water. Because somehow when I taste that meat that's offered to the idols, I'm drawn in, I'm seduced, I'm enticed. And I begin to trust not in Yahweh, but I begin to trust in the king who provides me the meat and the wine. So the application from Daniel this morning to the church of Israel, to us, is you live in a world out there that's trying desperately to seduce you, to draw you in, to trust in be very careful draw the line. Now you've heard all that before. You've always heard avoid, avoid, avoid the world. But to live in a culture that is not ours, we not only avoid, but we also engage. Verse 17 of chapter 1, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And what is that saying? What were the men who were teaching Daniel charged to do? Were they charged to teach him about Yahweh? No. They were charged to teach him the Babylonian religion. When your children go to school, are their teachers charged to teach them about Yahweh? No, of course not. And so what's our tendency to respond is to draw back. And when I was in school, I didn't have to learn anything from my professor because the guy slept around. So obviously, he didn't know truth. And I'm certainly not going to learn anything from him. 
that was wrong. See, that was wrong. Daniel not only learned Yahweh and had unquestioned obedience where he could draw the line, but Daniel learned all kinds of literature. He learned the Babylonian religions better than the Babylonians knew them. He learned all kinds of literature better than they knew them, ten times better. You see, if you want to homeschool your children, we're all for Christian education, and we're typically real strong on avoiding what you got to see from Daniel. Daniel not only avoided, Daniel also engaged the university systems of our education in this country were not stolen from the Christians. Christians just kept avoiding, avoiding, avoiding until they dropped back. Most of you guys aren't in college. But you're not doing biology and chemistry. So we can translate it. Marriages in America are falling apart. And Christian marriages in America are falling apart. Partially because most of the time we've avoided, we've avoided, we've avoided, and we have not engaged and learned and studied and understood. You understand? It's dangerous. We've got to teach our children about homosexuality because it is going to be a part of our culture. It's not enough to tell our kids, ooh. Daniel did the ooh when it was time to do ooh. But you can't take the ooh without seeing that Daniel also studied and learned all kinds of literature. You see, a good spy not only speaks his own language, a good spy knows the language of his enemy. If you want to protect your children, it is not enough to say, Jesus tells you to stay away from bad things. You must tell them these are the bad things that Jesus warned you to be very careful about learn from these other people too because they have some things that are true and you need to understand how they twist that truth for their own use. Um, great church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. They want to start a whole presbytery in New York City. What will the presbytery be like? The presbytery will be multi-ethnic because New York City is the biggest and most diverse collection of ethnic groups in the U.S. New York City is really an interlocking network of international city centers. The New York Presbytery will at first consist of Hispanic, Brazilian, Chinese, Korean, and Anglo congregations. We pray there will soon be more churches among Afro-Americans, West Indians, Arabs, and European people groups. This will be the PCA's and maybe the country's first truly multi-ethnic judiciary with the majority of churches being non-Anglo. Anglo, sorry for my language. But you understand, this is a church who has a vision to reach out to people that are not just like us, but they're engaging their cultures, all kinds of cultures, with the testimony of the gospel. What is the gospel? That all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all men desperately need a Savior. Daniel said, I'm going to hang on where I've got to hang on with unquestioned obedience. Give me food for water and you need water for drink and lettuce for food. And he also turned around and he learned all kinds of literature. God bless him. Let's pray together. Father, in this short time, we would have uh, 
listen to your word and you'll introduce briefly to this book. We see the testimony of a little boy who is dragged away from his home, from his parents. And so, Father, we pray that we would be the kind of church that's not just molded by the world around us, but knows where we have to draw the line and say, we don't come here to please ourselves, we come here to worship you. And whatever it is that you require us to do, that's what we're going to do. Father, we want to be a church that reaches people. We want to be a church that reaches senior citizens and has youth groups and has opportunities to reach people. But we don't want to lose our character and become a church has its vision more on meeting man's needs than it does on worshiping you. Help us to learn as we go through this book and see how Daniel was able not only to avoid that which was going to drag him into sin, but how Daniel also engaged and learned to speak not only the language of Yahweh, but the language of those cultures that were around him. Father, for parents who are here this morning, help us to learn to speak the language not only of Jesus as he teaches us from the Scripture, but help us to teach our children the language that's out there in the world around them so they will be able to discern and they will be able to guard their hearts. Father, we pray that you would be our teacher. You would help us to love those who are around us. Father, we thank you for the worship service. We pray that you would be the kind of congregation that would produce Daniels everywhere. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.